is what we're here about today, isn't it? He's our living hope. You can go ahead and have a seat. That'd be great. So glad to be back. We missed a couple of weeks. I can't believe how much I miss you when I'm gone. Oh, my goodness gracious. It is so good to be here today. And uh, as you know, you can hear already that I have that, you know, sultry jazz voice. And so... um, (laughs) Kim and I came home from vacation. We were on the plane. She was really sick on the plane. And I thought, oh, I'm going to, you know, be careful here, but you're locked together, right, in the plane. And then we got back, and she was sick, and I didn't get it for a couple of days. I thought I was going to be free. (laughs) But it didn't happen. And so I have it, and the doctor says it's actually an influenza bug. I'm not sure what that means. It feels like crud is all I know. Um, And so... Uh, I'm just so glad you're here. I just want you to know that. Love you so much. Uh, I got to be with some... You're wonderful. I got to be with some missionaries from Germany, and uh, as I was hanging out with them, they they watch us online uh, from Germany, and uh, one of the things that the woman said, right first thing she met me is she goes, you're taller than you look online. (laughs) And, you know, and I thought, so those of you who are watching online, you need to come and find out that I am taller than I look online. But she also said something, said something really strange, and she said, your ears are small. <laughs> and I thought, does that mean when she's looking at me online, they're big? <laughs> big old honking ears hanging out there. I know my dad, as he got old and his ears got so big, you know, you look at your dad and you're, oh, is that ever going to happen to me? So I actually felt that was a compliment, that my ears are small. Oh, my goodness. So I just want to invite everyone. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, those who are watching online, as I just said, but also later, this will be shown in Wayne Brown Jail, and then it'll be shown in Eschaton. And so I just want to uh, welcome all of those folks who'll be watching as well. And it's my prayer that God will use today in all of our lives. We come from all different perspectives. We have all different experiences, and you're going to have all different opinions than what I'm going to share today, more than likely. And so I'm just going to ask you to listen and um, give me respect, and then I'm going to show respect to you. You're going to see that as we go through this. I'm going to ask you that if there's ever a moment you feel like that you want to leave because this is so against what you would feel or you believe that you would uh, trust me and that you would stick it out. And uh, towards the end, I think that we'll all find uh, that there's hope for all of us. Um, I'm an opposite sex attracted male. And I have struggled to live by God's values in my life. I've struggled. I knew what God wanted. Uh, As a kid, I was taught the rules about sexuality and sex. And uh, it kind of went something like this. Don't drink, cuss, or uh, was it? Or kiss. How was that called? Chew. That's it. Or run around with girls who do. There we go. So it was all about rules, right? And then I realized that rules didn't help me because I had the rules, but I still went off the rails. Anybody else know that? Relate to that? I knew the rules, but I still went off the rails. And so I just want to acknowledge that I began to, uh, I'm not an example of anyone who says, hey, I've, I've been perfect or I have it all together. Uh, in my life, I've made choices that, um, and done things that I highly regret. And I've had to go with counseling and pastors to pray through this and to talk over some of the things in my past so that I could be uh, clean from those. And so just know that my message today as we talk about sexuality, it comes out of uh, the perspective of someone who's messed up and that my goal today is to help you that you won't mess up. 
that you will make some different choices than I made as an opposite-sex-attracted male um, in life as I went through my growing up years, so to speak. So whether we want to admit it or not, folks, we live in a sex-saturated culture, right? Sex-saturated. And I believe it's important that because we live in such a sex-saturated culture that we get some clarity on sex according to what God says from the Bible. What does God say about sexuality? So as sensitively, and I'll just say this as empathetically as I can today, I'm going to present what God says. And so just know that if you're here for the first time and you've never heard what God says, and this is his way. And if you feel like that's so foreign to you and you feel like it's so different than anything that you're living in your lifestyle right now, I'm just saying that this is the way that God would choose you to live. He would choose for you to go. So my desire today is to awaken in all of us the goodness that God has inside of him, that he's a good God, and that God has goodness in store for us. He's a good God, and he has goodness in store for us. So um, before we jump in, I just, because I know I need it, and I feel that you probably do too, I just want to take a moment to pray. So let's pray. God, I just want to thank you that you are good. And I thank you that you want us to be clear on this issue of sexuality because, God, the stakes are so high. And so, God, I, I just pray for each one of us. I pray for me as I speak that you would shut my mouth anywhere that you don't want me to say the words, that you might even bring words that aren't in my notes that you want me to say. And I pray for each one of us now. I pray for me as I speak that I would listen and for those who are listening that they would hear you and your voice and your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to grab your message notes out of your program, and you'll be able to follow along and take some notes today. We're going to be all over the Bible, as you can imagine, uh, for a topic like this. And so these will be very helpful for you uh, and be able to write down some things. And also, if you have a Bible, you can open it to 1 Corinthians 6, because I'll be there at some point today. And just want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. So they have a whole rack of Bibles out there. You can take that as our gift today. I just want you to draw your attention to the backside first, and Duncan, there won't be any slides for this. On the backside, I listed some resources for you, <clears throat> and so uh, I, can, I should give you a bibliography of resources that I've read for this, you know, just for today. Um, but what I did is I gave you some of the best resources that I've read for today, and so those are there, and so you can look at those. I've got the book. This is a, a wonderful book because one of the questions that you asked uh, on the survey, Is God Anti-Gay? That's the title of this book, Is God Anti-Gay? It's listed right there. I encourage you to pick this up. It's a great primer on the teachings of the Bible and uh, about sexuality and especially about <clears throat> same-sex attracted people. And so you can look at that. And then this one is a new book that just came out. It's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Once again, amazing book about uh, understanding where culture is right now and how sexuality is playing out <clears throat> and what does God say to us and about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is a new book, and it's actually it's really coming into its own right now, uh, all kinds of conferences around this book alone. Um, and then you see the other book I, I listed there. There are m others uh, one called Good God, Gay Girl, and really good about a girl's uh, struggle with lesbian thoughts and same-sex attraction. So that'd be another one. And then I'm going to list a, give you a website. I, I, was gonna, I didn't put it on your notes because I wasn't sure about it, and I wanted to dig more into it, but it's called turningout.org, turningout.org. And so I just want to encourage you that this is a, a really cool website. Um, and I, I don't mean cool, I mean deep uh, and 
talking about opposite sex attraction and same sex attraction, and then uh, the, where culture is, and then the struggles that uh, we have with those you know attractions, and then how we can get off rails, and then how God wants us to come back in on the rails. And so it's a great great source there if you want to look at that, especially if you have people in your world who are struggling with uh, same sex attraction. Uh, this book would be really good <coughs> for them. So. Uh, what I want to begin with is I want to begin by showing you the progression of our series and how we're here today on, by plan. And so we began the series by saying that we have questions we want to ask God, and we had a theme verse that we've been using. It's from Jeremiah, top of your notes. It says this, God says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're calling to God. God, would you tell us what we need to know about things that are unfathomable to us? And he said he would do that. He would tell us those things. And so we're asking God to do that. Then two weeks ago, Mark Hadley talked, and he talked about that God is the creator and the designer, and that we can trust God, that as he created and designed, that he knew what he was doing. He had a grand design, and he had a grand plan. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Mark did a great job of saying how we can trust God as our creator and that God designed the world to work perfectly so that as everything was as it should be and everything was in harmony. That's the way God actually created the world. And when we trust God in that way, when we look to his word and what it says, that it helps us when we understand that God does have a plan, that God does have a design, a way that he made us as human beings. And that's where we have to go to God's word. And then last week, I had asked John Fairchild to talk about how the God's word is reliable. So we can look to God's word, we can trust it, and that God's word can speak to us about the issues of life. It says in Hebrews 4, it says, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So we have God's word that's been recorded and put into the pages of this book, we call it the Bible. This book is not a library book, as I heard recently someone refer it to. It's not a library book. It's not a, a book of suggestions on how to live. The Bible contains the word. So God's speaking to us in this book that he has a grand design for us. He's good. And that grand design is for our goodness. Full, the pages of this book are full of this. Now, he wants to draw us in to his way of living, and it's good for us as we do that. So what we want to do today is we want to take that whole you know, train of thought, the God who speaks, the God who designed, the God who gave us his word, and we want to say to that God, what do you have to say about sexuality? And so I just want to remind you as I begin that everything that God says to us is for our good. And so if God is good, and then by association, then God's word has to be good, then we can trust that what we're going to talk about today is for our best, even though we may not quite get it today. So I'm going to ask you to really hang with me throughout the talk today. So what we realize is there may be times when what we want for ourselves may not be the best. What I want for myself may not be the best. And then what I want for myself, I may find that God wants something different for me. He wants me to go a different way. He wants me to change my path. And then if he's calling me to go down a different path than the path that I feel is the right path for me, then it becomes an issue of trust. And this is where I'm going to end today. 
it becomes an issue of trust. Will I trust that God is good and that God has my good in mind and that God has my best in mind in everything he asks of me? So I'm going to talk about, um, actually, I'm going to talk today about the ideal of sexuality, okay? I, I told the teams as we were praying this morning before service that um, I manuscript my talks and uh, I judge how long it's going to be by word count. And my typical word count would be about 2,700 words. And when I finished my first draft yesterday, I had 5,400 words. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't believe everything that had to get left behind. And so this is really just an overview. It's not everything I wish I could say today as we look at this. So here we go. First thing is this. Sex is God's gift. Sex is God's idea. God is pro-sex. Now, I, I know that we have a lot of singles here today. And um, I'm just totally aware that in your singlehood, and uh, if you have opposite sex attraction or same sex attraction as a single, that, uh, that hearing us talk today about sex being for, you know, as we're going to talk in a minute about married people and you feel excluded, I just want you to know I'm really tender about that. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I don't think the church does a good enough job, I'll just say the global church, and our church more than likely as well does a good enough job of acknowledging the singles in our midst. And your loneliness at times, your desire for something different, your feeling that the church is all about married people and that you somehow are a misfit. I'm so sorry if that's what you feel. And I really want to ask you just to listen today as well to what God would say to all of us about these issues. So sex is a good gift from an intimate and loving God. God designed human beings to experience sex as part of their union together. Genesis 2. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the idea here, that what God is showing us, is that he designed a man a specific way, he designed a woman a specific way, and he designed them to come together, and that as they came together, that would be the sexual experience. As they came together face-to-face, -face, that would be the sexual experience he designed them that they would fit, that they would fit together in that way. And he designed them, he first designed the man and made the man, but he already knew he was going to make the woman, so he already had the woman designed. So he made the man in a specific way, and then he makes the woman in a specific way, and then he makes them a way that they come together, and that coming together is the way that he designed sex to be. That was his design and his plan. And when we live in his plan, then that's when we can experience human flourishing and all that God intends. Second, sex is marred by sin. Sex is marred by sin. So God's perfect design was marred by the sin of mankind. And scripture teaches us that sin corrupts everything. Everything in creation is corrupted. Creation groans and longs for the day that God will make things right again. So everything is, cor is corrupted and all humanity is corrupted because of sin. So sex design is designed, sex is designed to be a part of a way we love and serve one another. It's not specifically designed for pleasure. It's a way we love and serve one another, but sin has marred that grand design into where today sex has become what I get from you. What I get from you. And so today we have many voices uh, claiming to know the best way to experience sexual intimacy. And that's why I say we're in a sex-saturated culture. You can hear these voices all the time. 
all the time, saying, here's the way to intimacy, here's the way to intimacy, here's the way to intimacy, here's the way to oneness. And what they don't say, but I'll say, is that they're saying, even if the expression that they're encouraging goes against God's design for a man and a woman to come together in sexual intimacy, they're saying, here are ways that you can experience sex together. So we live in a world that's marred and it's tainted by sin. And I'll just say it this way. This is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it was supposed to be. Romans 5 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So we all sinned, right? Every one of us talking about there, and we all live with the effects of sin. So what this means, okay? We talk about sexuality. This means the fall means that we have disordered attractions, disordered attractions that run against God's design. We have, as human beings, disordered attractions that run against God's design. And that means that the church, society, but especially the church, is a group of disordered people, disordered people coming together, helping each other remember who they are in Christ and how they can live out God's design even though they have disordered desires. We help each other to live according to the plan that God has. Okay, third is this. Sex is, and I hated that I did this negatively. I'm so sorry. Sex is limited to biblical marriage. I just could have said that in a positive way, but it's limited to biblical marriage. Sex is to be limited, a limited connection between a man and a woman who have sealed their, covenant relation, their relationship for the covenant of marriage. So I can only say it this way, and I'm just telling you, as an opposite sex attracted male, I failed at this failed at this, is that sex is a gift of God for married people. It's a gift of God for married people. <laughs> Someone I read this week, he said this, and it kind of really speaks. Sex is not a gift for party people, for friends with benefits people, for if I don't, he'll break up with me people, for we are committed to each other people, for we are just trying it out kind of people, for the economic gain kind of people. Sex is a gift for married people. That's who sex is for. And Jesus says it this way. He says, haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. For they, so they no longer are two, but one flesh. So this is what happens when we come together. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So God's design, I'll just say it this way, God's design for full sexual expression is to be between a man and a woman in the safety and commitment of marriage, the covenant of marriage. That's God's ideal, and Jesus is affirming it in the verses we just read. Okay, fourth, sex is more than a physical act. Sex is more than a physical act. Some of you are going, man, he's already on the backside. We're going to get out early today. <laughs> I have a lot on the back, Okay. <laughs> that we're going to get the cover together. So sex is more than a physical act. It's more than two bodies coming together for physical pleasure. That's kind of the way that our, our secular view of sex is. It's just two bodies, and so we come together, we have sex, and so it doesn't matter because, you know, as long as uh, I haven't hurt anybody, as long as I, it was consensual, um, then it's okay. It's just bodies, body parts, body fluids coming together. But I'll just say that church history has held for centuries 
So this isn't just some kind of new thing that the church has dreamed up. Church history has held for centuries that sex is about a melding, a coming together of souls, of souls. Everybody is a soul. Our bodies won't live. Our souls will live on. And every one of us is a soul. And that's what church history teaches. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. And Paul's writing as a pastor to his people here. And he says, do you, not, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall that I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All the other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So when you re reduce sex to an event or to a casual hookup, outside of the exclusive, committed way that it was intended, you do damage to your soul. Damage to your soul. Now, you can try to tell me, you can try to say, it's just a physical thing. But God's word says that sex impacts your soul. Impacts your soul. It affects you at the core of your being. Sex is a mingling of two souls that are brought together. And we must guard our souls, people, against the damage that's done through inappropriate sexual expression. Now, I do believe that God is a God of redemption and a God of grace and a God of second chances and a God of new starts. And that I believe that he can take our, our previous experiences and he can forgive us for them, he can cleanse us for them, and he can remove some of the impact of our souls. But every time we sin, we carry a consequence of some kind. And some of those consequences will be carried forward in our, the damage that we've done to our soul. Okay, fifth is this. Sex is not your identity. Sex is not your identity. So our, what our secular culture does right now is our sexu sexual culture wants us to believe that my identity is my sexuality, or my sexuality is my identity. And that's what our culture wants us to believe. It promotes the idea that you are less, and part of that is it promotes the idea that you are less of a person unless you are engaged in some kind of sexual relationship, sexual relationship. So it's all about pushing us forward and forward into sexual relationships of experimentation and saying that if you're not in these relationships, you're missing out. You're missing out on the glory that you can have when you come together in this way and that it becomes our identity then. And so then anytime that our sexuality becomes our identity, you can never challenge sexuality because then you're rejecting the person. When you do that, you attack their, you attack their personhood. And so the folks, the reality is this. Anytime my identity is based upon, and I'm going to expand it a little bit, anytime my identity is based upon gender, anytime it's based on my sexuality, my position, my possessions, my attractions, my power, my standing, then my identity is based upon something that is not God's best 
And over the long term, it won't sustain. It won't sustain. It just won't. And I've been doing a lot of reading. Uh, I know on vacation you're probably not just read workbooks, but um, I did. And um, I've been doing a lot of reading about secularism and where we're going as a culture and secularism and the hope uh, that we can have in our souls that, that progressive secularism is, is, going to, is, is at the edge and that there will be a new day and a new way when Christ will come and through his people and he will redeem us from sexual progressivism. We can see that, see that in culture, the way it's playing out right now and the franticness of those who would live on the progressive socialistic side of life, how frantic everything is right now, pushing forward and forward because it, the realization is there is that if we don't push forward, we're losing. We're losing the battle. We're in a social experiment, you guys a social experiment that will fail at some point because God is not at the center. It will fail, and when it does, it's going to leave countless victims on the wayside of the experiment that we're placing on our kids and us as adults. And if we're going to stave off that collapse then we need to know where do we get our identity? Where does our identity come from? And what is it based upon? Well, 2 Corinthians 5 says, it says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has come, the new is here. So here's the deal. Before God, we're all broken. Before God, we're all messy. And at the same time, before God, we are all deeply loved. Deeply loved. We talk about race here, and we talk about the fact that when we look at someone else of another race in the eyes, that we're seeing someone who was created in, in the image of God, that this is a, a most loved person. Well, that's all of us. We're all deeply loved by God, and we're all living in the tension of figuring out what it means to trust God who deeply loves us, that he is good, and he's calling us to live in a certain way because he's good. So I'll just say, please don't let your sexual desires or any other desires, define who you are, because it won't sustain you. And so if you're in Christ, your fundamental identity is that you've been adopted by the creator of the universe into his family. You are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the most high God. God is not anti-anything. That tells you that God is not anti-anything. God is for everyone. God loves everyone. And he wants to draw everyone into relationship with himself. So what does that mean for us, okay? Everything that I've said, what does that mean for us? We're, at this, we're here in our day right now. We can't change where we are. We're in this place right now. We can't change where we live. We have the sexual norms that we have in our day right now where the biblical norms are being challenged Sexual standards are being rewritten and made into laws. All sexual behaviors are being accepted and told that if we don't, that we are bigots. Bigots. Well, it goes back to what I said earlier at the very beginning. It's a matter of trust. Am I going to trust? Am I going to trust that what God says is true? Am I going to trust in God's goodness? Am I going to trust God's word to be good for me? And I believe that the only way forward as we move forward from here on this day is that for us to choose to stand securely on the goodness that God has expressed in the pages of his book to us. 
even if I don't understand, even if I don't agree, even if choosing God's way leads to suffering, even if choosing God's way leads to ridicule, even if God, living God's way choose to persecution for our beliefs. So Emily read this verse to us earlier. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. <coughs> in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So what we want to embrace today, what I'm asking you to embrace is this, is that God's ways are always best. God's ways are always best. And I'll just say it this way. There is absolute freedom in living within the guardrails of God's word. Absolute freedom in living in the boundaries of the, what God has said and how he's called us to live. And so we live in a, question, we live in a questioning age and Lots of questions people ask. People wonder, am I gay? Does God make people gay? Am I straight? Why do I wrestle with transgender issues? Why do I have these strong feelings and desires that leave me confused? Can't we just you know, live together? Why do we have to be married? What's this whole deal about being married? Can't we all, we, we're committed to each other. Why is marriage so important? We live with all those questions, and it's very confusing. It's very complex. And that's why I take comfort, folks. I take comfort in knowing that God knows. And trusting God and knowing that God knows what I don't know. And I take comfort in that, that he knows what I don't know, that he understands each and every one of us. He knows all of our complex struggles inside and out, and he loves us with an unfailing love as we navigate living in this broken world. Okay, so that's a lot, right? That's an overview. Now what I want to do is I want to talk to us as a church for just a minute. How do we respond to those who disagree? How do we respond to those who disagree with what I've just said? First is this. This is what I'm going to call us to as a church. We will express compassion, not condemnation. Compassion, not condemnation. We will make a commitment that we... This is going to sound so hard. We will make a commitment that we will not judge anyone for the choices they're making for their sexuality. This is only by the power of the Holy Spirit, folks. It doesn't mean that we won't have guidelines. It doesn't mean we won't have standards. But it means our church is going to be a safe place for people of all persuasions on this issue to come and feel it's safe, a safe place. So I'll just say it this way. If our church does not have people inside our church who are same-sex attracted, who are opposite sex attracted, who are living in relationships that go against the kinds of relationships that we talked about today. If it doesn't have people who are struggling with pornography, if it doesn't have people who are struggling with understanding the whole idea of their sexuality, if it doesn't have pe people in it that are not living together, if it doesn't have people who are not in these places, folks, and our church is not healthy. Our church is not representing Jesus as it should. I love this quote by Madeline Lingle. She says, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? That's what God's calling us to do. Second, we will express acceptance without affirmation. 
we will express acceptance without affirmation. So just hear me on this one, okay, that, that um, our church must be a place that we will accept everyone, everyone, no matter their sexual orientation, no matter their struggle, no matter their sin problem, no matter their brokenness, no matter just going down the list. We must be a safe place so that together we can work out our salvation. But we can't affirm lifestyles that go against what God's word says. So I'll just say this. This is, this is risky, okay? Very risky for me to say. But I'd say it's a risk God wants us to take, I believe, personally. There is enough room at the table of Jesus for everyone. Enough room at the table of Jesus for everyone. So I'll just remind you, one of the things we like to talk about about our church, and we want everyone to understand, is that Twin Cities is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. Right? Hospital for, hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And so this is a place that we invite people to come, and we will be messy. We will experience and give messy grace with each other where love abounds. The church should be the one place in all of culture where we can take off our masks, where we can be real, we can be honest, where we can own our brokenness, and we can move into the healing arms of Jesus. Tim Keller, he says, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches, even our most avant-garde ones. We tend to draw conservative, buttoned-down, moralistic people. The licentious and liberated or the broken and the marginal avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners do not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Lastly, we will express love, not hate. We will express love, not hate. Folks, I can't imagine how grieved our God is by the way some folks who claim to follow Jesus have treated those who struggle in this area of sexuality. This hatred that's been spewed on people. They just can't imagine how this has grieved God's heart. The church has blown it in so many ways concerning this issue of sexuality. We've mis misrepresented Jesus. That's what Tim Keller was just saying. We've misrepresented Jesus. We've mis misrepresented the good news of the gospel in the ways that we've treated those who are, have different views of sexuality. We've failed those who have these different views. We've failed to provide a safe place for everyone who is broken, straight, or gay to find Jesus and the beauty of his life. So if you're sitting there and you're wondering, does your view of sexuality exclude you from the table? I just want to say again, let me be clear by saying it does not. We have to recover the concept that we're all welcome at the table of Jesus. 
And Jesus is so good at including all those who are stumbling along. That's the only requisite that Jesus had, is that you just had to be a stumbler who would follow him. Stumble along. Jesus stands in the cultural middle. He avoids the cultural extreme of total judgment. He avoids the cultural extreme of total affirmation and celebration. And Jesus lives in the radical middle where he looks at folks and he says, wherever you are, whoever you are, come follow me, come learn from me. So folks, we have to remember, we don't have to believe all the right things. We don't have to do all the right things. We're simply asked to walk with him and invite people to walk with him. If we, have to believe, if we had to believe all the right things and if we had to do all the right things, this building would be empty. Right? It would be empty. We're all broken. We're on the need of a savior. The cross, as I said a while ago, shows that God is not anti-anyone. The cross shows the lengths God will go to to redeem us and show his love. And this is the one place in the whole world where it should be safe to be open about the mess in our lives and admit how much we need God's mercy and grace. Okay? That's how we're going to respond. We're going to have compassion. How many times do you remember Jesus looking at people and it says he had compassion on them? Not condemnation. We're going to have compassion. We're going to have acceptance. And we're going to show love. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we want to pray. And as I pray, I, I just want to refer to the last verse on your notes because I really want to give some of us a chance. You're sitting there and you're thinking, I, I've messed up, Ron. And you're, you're feeling it so strongly that you want to do something about it right now. And it says in this verse, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if that's you and you want to say, Jesus, I've, I've been given into the cultural mandate about sexuality. I didn't know it even. Or I did know it. And... I was choosing to live outside of your boundaries. I'm off rail. And today I just want to come to you and I want to confess that, knowing that you're not rejecting me, knowing that you're not condemning me, knowing that you want to have compassion on me. And so I just want to confess now. I want to receive your compassion and your grace. And I want you to help me now, Jesus, to have the courage to make the changes I need to make in my world concerning the way I'm living out my sexuality. And God, I pray for those of us in the room who um, are disagreeing with me right now and you're feeling angry uh, or you're feeling that, uh, that I don't understand. And I pray, Jesus, that you would use what we've talked about today. I present it as clearly as I can in my humanity and I pray that you would use it in all of our lives, even if we disagree. That there would be a moment when we would sense that these words were true. And we would be drawn to you. And then, Jesus, I pray for our church that we would embrace this idea that, um, that Twin Cities is only health, healthy if it has same-sex attracted people, if it has opposite-sex attracted people, if it has people who are broken, if it has people who are needy. I pray that you would help us to know that that's a healthy church, 
not, as Tim Keller said, a button-down, perfect church. And so I pray, God, I know that I probably opened up a can of worms today, and I trust you, you will help us to uh, navigate that because we trust in your understanding, not our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.